Hey, everybody, and welcome to Get Your AI On, the podcast. I'm Ciprian Borodescu, and this podcast is brought to you by Algolia, the AI-powered search and discovery platform. I'm the host of the show. In every episode, I invite founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and even AI researchers to share with us their experience in dealing with business problems that can be solved through intelligent use of data. This is episode number 30. Let's get your AI on. Hello, everybody. I'm here with Nicola Desaigne, group partner at Y Combinator, co-founder and member of the board of directors at Algolia. Nicola, it's an honor to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, you're welcome. The pleasure is mine. Um, how about we start this episode by telling us a bit about yourself and your journey from Algolia to Y Combinator? Uh, sure, of course. So I was one of the co-founders of Algolia back in 2012 with uh, Julien, my co-founder, who's still there, actually. <laughs> you probably work with him pretty often. Absolutely, and, yeah. Yeah. And I led Algolia as CEO from 2012 to 2020. Um, basically from inception to CIC, I think we were about 350 people by then. And that's when I decided to hire a successor in my role of CEO, which, uh, which freed me to, uh, do something else. And that's when I joined YC, Y Combinator, um, like a bit over a year ago, uh, in a way to pay it forward, kind of spend more time with early stage startups, uh, use my experience to, uh, help the new entrepreneurs, new generation of entrepreneurs. Excellent. And Algolia is actually an alumni of Y Combinator, right? Yeah, that's right. We uh, we did YC back in winter 14, so like January to March 2014. And it was, uh, I don't know, it was uh, some kind of like uh, inflection point in our life. Uh, it really helped us to accelerate uh, mostly business by then because we already had a product and, uh, and a small team. Uh, such a great experience. I think it has been a, one of the most impactful period of our life as a company. What are the most exciting things that you remember oh. uh, out of the entire YC uh, experience? I mean, it's yeah. one of a one of a kind experience. I think in a life in a life of a of a startup and of an entrepreneur. Yeah, yes, you know, there is a a lot of small things that add up. Uh, but one of the things that I remember very well is more the the way we participated. So uh, we moved the whole company there for, for three months. Mm-hmm. So we rented a house and we're six people. So basically I was uh, waking up in the morning, someone would already be walking. I would go to bed the night, someone would still be walking. It was kind of such an intense period where we were all in it together. Uh, <laughs> Day after day, iterating, trying to uh, figure out new ways to grow the business. Uh, you know, like very early days of a startup, but yeah, such a great experience also to uh, to bind the team together, like oh, helped a lot in creating the right culture for the company. Um, and yeah, that's really uh, mm-hmm. projected us like in a in a in kind of a such a different world from where we were coming from. So all of these uh, small things really uh, worked well. And of course, YC, um, the partners were all entrepreneurs. So they could help us a lot, figure out, mm-hmm. like avoid many mistakes. Um, um, yeah. Got a lot of inspiration from many talks by 
founders of great companies. And uh, yeah, no, that was uh, such an incredible experience, especially for us where we were coming from uh, an ecosystem that was not as developed yet. Yeah. Um, Paris back then was not what it is today. So all of these things add up to, uh, to create a great experience. And it was interesting how you kind of like decided to to go back to basically what Y Combinator, but in a different role. Yeah. How did you come up to that? I know when um, when I decided to um, uh, to basically leave my uh, operating role, um, I was I mean a lot of that was also about family, and um, I kind of like had committed to my wife to not do anything major for the following two years. Okay. Uh, and then, and then Michael Siebel, who, uh, who's leading the early stage program at YC, uh, contacted me and just asked me, Hey, what are you doing this winter? So that you are leaving, what are you going to do? Nice. Uh, basically invited me to join as a visiting partner. Uh, uh, my plan, initial plan was to, uh, because I had started to, in- Angel Invest in a few companies. My initial plan was to, you know, help these companies. Like when I was CEO, I didn't have time for that. So I wanted to spend a little more time there. And so in a way, YC was a way to do that at a much larger scale. Yeah. And it was YC. So it was difficult to say no <laughs> to such an opportunity. So I kind of like, yeah, took the leap of faith here, convinced my wife, basically. But she was not too difficult to convince, mm-hmm. uh, to convince there. And, uh, and yeah, and started to, uh, to uh to join yc for the, the following program following batch um no regret i think i've learned so much more i would ever have thought i would when uh, i decided to uh, to join um both from the partners because of course you join people who have worked with hundreds of startups and they have so much to share and also from the startups themselves i've ne- i've not learned as much i mean from i know about fintech healthcare um, carbon technologies, uh, and you name it, like all of this, all of the new topics that startups are working on, uh, I've learned more in the past years than ever in my life. That's interesting because I recently read through the YC Summer 2021 batch stats, and I noticed that there are about 400 startups selected, up from about 200 last year. And I just wanted, I'm, I'm really curious, and I want to understand. Uh, and maybe the audience as well. What is the investment thesis at Y Combinator in general, and how was that different this year? <laughs> you know, uh, the kind of the purpose of YC is to help founders um, at any stage <laughs> uh, that could be from idea to IPO. So in a way, YC was designed and uh, run by startup founders, kind of. Including many YC alumni, uh, including me, uh, and uh, and these founders, they, they build the product, the YC product. Uh, they wish they had when they were running their, their companies, basically. So there is no uh, uh, specific. I mean, in a way, that's the thesis. So there is not like kind of investment thesis of how the world is going to change or anything like that. It's all about helping entrepreneurs, and and when I say from IDEO to IPO. Uh, it's because we actually have programs beyond the batch, the early stage batch that you know about, uh, including a Series A program, uh, 
growth program uh, for later stage companies. So we still continue to help our alumni past the, the batch, the YC, a typical program. And about the number of companies, you know, I think the, the biggest reason here is that there are way more great companies applying. Uh, we try to avoid putting a strong quota here. So it's probably a factor of how many great applications we receive. Mm. And if we can help more founders, it's also better for everyone. And it was interesting also to notice that this kind of like is an uh, alignment with other, well, with VCs in general um, and how VC funds uh, treated this entire uh, period of time, like the pandemic and all of that. So I was also curious to see how many startups have used AI in their name and description this year compared to last year. What do you think the trend is? Uh, That's interesting. You did the research here. You probably know more than I do then um, on these numbers. But uh, uh, while I don't know, I think AI um, has become such a common word in a way and and for good and bad reasons. I mean, the, the bad reason is that some people may think they have to have AI in their product, application, project, whatever, and think that's a that's really bad reason. I mean, who cares? What you should care about is what the the value of the product you deliver to to your customers uh, or your users. It's not about how it's done or like do you need to have AI or not. Uh, it's AI is to me just a mean to an end. Um, and then there is possibly a good reason here is that AI overall has reached a maturity level where it can be used by many companies with lower expertise uh, than it, than was necessary like a few years ago. Uh, and I think that's a good thing because it gives access to these two new companies that, that would never have dreamed of uh, of leveraging these technologies before. So I would guess that there are more and more companies leveraging AI. It's probably more and more companies who are an AI first company, kind of like building a, a platform for others or tools for others. Um, but I don't have the numbers. I, uh, yeah, I looked, yeah, that's, it was pretty amazing to see that the percentage last year, it was around four or 5% of companies that had select that were selected for YC had some sort of AI component in their name, in their description, you know, in their pitch in general. Mm-hmm. This year is like 10%, so double the percentage. The bell, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's pretty amazing, though. Yeah, that's, amazing. that's surprising. I would not expect, I've expected such a high growth, but yeah, I mean, it's still yeah. 5-10% still makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like yeah. The, the growth here is pretty impressive indeed. And how, how do you go about evaluating AI startups? Is there a different or a more nuanced framework you're using to surface the good ones? Does it even matter if it's AI or not? And you kind of like touched on this a little bit. And if it does, what are the signals you're looking for? Yeah, let me think. I don't think there is a, that matters so much. Uh, in a way, um, in a way for, like as, as we're seeing, like either AI is a mean to an end for the company, just a tool, yep. or maybe the company is kind of an AI first, like a tool, a platform by itself. Yeah. If it's a if it's a mean to an end, uh, evaluation here is just about validating. It's not all bullshit. 
no, uh, AI can be used also as a as a buzzword. Um, and it's actually pretty easy to do because when people don't know what they are speaking about, you you get like it's super easy to uh, to detect. Um, and yeah, don't use don't speak about AI if you don't know what you are speaking about. Basically, yes. I don't know. Uh, first, maybe I would check the founders, their background and credibility here. Like, what have they done before? Uh, I mean, you don't invent yourself as an AI uh, researcher, like just from one day to another. If what, like, if you have done something else before, I think it takes time to really become uh, proficient with these technologies. Yeah. Um, and another thing maybe is uh, their understanding of the market, like. Are they uh, building, like doing AI just because they love AI and that's it? Or do they really understand what what solutions they are providing to whom? Like who are their customers? Uh, what problems are they solving? And so on. Which sometimes, you know, like you may have some AI researchers building AI just because they love the technology, but may not have customers in mind. Yes. Um, I have to say that I've met a lot of um, uh, machine learning engineers, data scientists um, that are very, very incredibly passionate about that. Uh, and indeed, they are using or building and you know um, gravitating around the AI ecosystem just because they love the technology, they love the, the challenge. And sometimes there are people that are building and trying new stuff um just for the sake of you know writing a new paper uh researching that field that they, they feel they are very very passionate about without having the customer or the user in mind and i think those type of people and that kind of research i would classify it more as an academic research i think that's useful on its own. And there are conferences where papers like that are being uh, presented and so on. On the other hand is this, what I like to call applied research. And of course, you and I right now, and of course, at Algolia, we're doing this. We do the research, but we do it with the customer in mind. So that's why I'm calling it applied research. Um, so I think you need both, but it, it also depends uh, on the type of company you are, on the type of activity you are, at the end uh, of the day, it depends on the end goal that you have as a scientist or as a machine learning engineer. Yeah, it's it's very true. I mean, if you want to build a company, just start from the problem, not the solution. Exactly. Uh, we call that, you know, a CISP, like solution in search of a problem. It's a very common failure pattern. Uh, yeah. Don't do that. Start with the problem and not the solution. I saw earlier today a post, a post uh, on LinkedIn covering the French AI ecosystem. And according to their data, there are over 500 French startups specializing in artificial intelligence, which is an increase from last year of 11%. And it seems that these startups are young, 73% created in the past six years. Uh, raised a total of 1.5 billion euros in 2021. Again, uh, um, uh, an increase for from last year, 700 million euros in all of 2020. Uh, what do you think contributes to this 
proliferation of AI startups in France? Um, is that really different from the rest of the world? <laughs> Would be the first question. I don't know if France is special here or not. Maybe it is. Um, and if it is, I, I was I was hoping you can tell us. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know no. how connected you are still with the ecosystem, but yeah. yeah, I'm still a little connected here. But uh, my guess would be uh, if France is special, it's probably because of the kind of engineering culture here. Um, a lot of engineers, software developers are trained in France. Uh, it's kind of part of uh, what we are known to be good at. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and AI again is a, is a very sexy topic to work on. So it's, uh, it's very attractive for, you know, kids out of college and they, they want to work, uh, to build software. What are they going to work on? Like AI is kind of like the, the most, probably the most interesting topic to work on today. Uh, and it's true. It's super interesting. Uh, so I guess that influenced a lot the number of companies that created. The other thing is that, more and more people are creating companies. Like it's kind of being an entrepreneur. You know, back when we started with uh, with Julien Algoya, uh, was not as obvious a career path. Uh, like people were not um, founding companies as often as today. But today, uh, it's kind of become super attractive for many founders. Probably looking at the successes of previous the previous generation. And so I think that it also contributes for like to more create more companies being created and more AI companies being created when you look at it. And of course, like the funding, uh, all funding has increased, not only AI. So uh, I don't know. I'm not sure it's uh, so different from the rest of the industry. You mentioned solution in search of a problem as being one of the, let's say, biggest mistake that entrepreneurs focused on building AI startups make. Now, with your experience uh, as an YC alumni, as a CEO at Algolia, as a group partner at YC, and seeing so many other startups and also as an angel investor, what have you seen in terms of mistakes that entrepreneurs do in general? And maybe share some of the mistakes that you did as well. Yeah, uh, being a solution in search of a problem is probably the biggest, uh, especially when you are speaking of like uh, very like low level technology startups like, or any AI startups would fit here. Um, and uh, and in some way, we also did that mistake at Algolia. Um, at least not ex- yeah, not as obvious. But when we started Algolia, we were going after a problem. But we kind of uh, didn't validate that people were ready to pay for the solution. And that's, I think that was one of our mistakes here. So we kind of ended up developing the product before validating the need. Uh, so like the quick story is that our first product at Agolia was actually a, a search uh, SDK that mobile developers could embed in their app uh, to search locally on your smartphone, basically. Uh, uh, we saw a lot of questions on Stack Overflow that were unanswered and people asking, hey, how can I implement Lucene in my app? Lucene being a, a search uh, open source library. Um, and the truth is that back in 2012, it was not possible. 
um, smartphones were were not powerful enough. Lucene was not designed for that, so that couldn't work. And so we thought there was a market. So we developed that SDK, and the tech really worked really well. Uh, we optimized it for the needs of mobile devices and so on, but the market was not there at all. And we kind of it took us quite a few months, like not too long, but uh, before to realize that. And then we decided to pivot to a, a SaaS product, API, the API we have now. Uh, it took us uh, a few months to do that. And again, we didn't validate really the need. I mean, it was more uh, an intuition here. And it's only later, uh, after we started to have a few beta testers, that we had that aha moment where we realized that what we had built was such a perfect fit for the majority of the need of the net, on the web, uh, but uh, but you know it was part luck here uh, because it was not on purpose that we went in that direction. It was kind of because of we started on mobile that we had to make choices because of the constraints on smartphones, uh, and these choices actually made our product so much better uh, once we were an API on the web, uh, and all of that was. Pure luck. I mean, not pure luck, but majority luck. Uh, and it ended up super well for us, but it, we also could have gone right, right in a wall and never find that problem solution fit in a way. Uh, so yes, again, uh, if I were to look back at that experience and at a lot of the mistakes I see people do, um, it's about a lot about developing a product before knowing what, why you do it. Like, What's the real problem you are solving? Who are the customers? Are they ready to pay for that? So I think, unless I speak about market validation here, I'm not speaking about like random questions to random people here. Uh, I'm speaking about identifying a problem, interviewing people, of course, but developing um, an MVP as soon as possible. So then you can start, start testing with these customers, uh, getting them to use the product, get your feedback, try to charge them as soon as possible, because then uh, they cannot just be nice with you <laughs> because then they have to give you money. If that's when you really realize if people, if you solve people's problem or not. Um, and the earlier you can do that, the better. Um, yeah, I, I think that would be the, the biggest advice here. Um, get in front of your customers as soon as you can. Absolutely. And what about the, uh, the, the team dynamic? Where would you put that? Is it top three? Uh, and not necessarily as a mistake, but as a, a failing point. Because a lot of, I know personally, a lot of companies or startups that do not have the right dynamic between the founders. What would you describe? I'm actually really curious to see your thoughts on this one. How would you describe a healthy uh, relationship between the founders? So that's one we did really well with Julia. So <laughs> this one was a big success. But uh, the truth is that the vast majority of startups who fail, um, fail because of uh, issues between founders. Uh, so it's the number one reason of failure. So yes, the, the kind of the relationship between the founders is critical uh, for success. Um, in our case with Julien, so quite a few things helped here. First, we had worked together twice before in our careers. So we knew each other pretty well before founding Algolia. 
I still remember in 2024, like, uh, sorry, 2004, um, when we first worked together, 2004, 2005, I still remember thinking that, hey, like, if one day I was to create a company, I'd love to create that company with this guy. Uh, I was so impressed by Julien. Uh, and so, in a way, when we had the opportunity to create Algolia together, it was a no-brainer for me. That being said, we still took time here to make sure we were aligned. Uh, we, uh, I remember we uh, visiting Julien, we spent about half a day discussing about what we called the type of company we wanted to build together. So it was more, today we would speak about the culture of the company. At that time, we were not aware of this terminology. <laughs> and so for us, it was, hey, what type of company are we going to create? And it's only after the discussion that we uh, basically, uh, that's the next day I was resigning from my job, basically. So that was an important validation for us. Um, we were, look, I mean, lucky. I mean, we were a little older than many startup founders. So we had quite a lot of experience in um, at different companies. So in a way, we knew what we didn't want to reproduce to. And all of these things helped us rediscuss about what we wanted to build. And back then it was, uh, I mean, we nailed, like the term we used was ownership. We really wanted to create a company of owners. And I think it, it has really helped us a lot along the years, especially the, the beginning of the startup, because so many things happen all the time in the life of a startup that we really wanted to make sure that the people in the company would be able to, uh, would behave like they were basically the CEO of the company, like owners of the company. When was that? Do you remember uh, the year? Uh, it, yeah, 2012. Um, that discussion happened uh, end of, mm, I want to say end of May 2012, because I think it was the 1st of June. I, I, I went to see my, my boss to tell him that uh, I wanted to, uh, <laughs> to resign. Um, and uh, 2012, yeah, it took us over a year before to hire our first employee. So, wow. you know, it, it, like, it never was a topic again until probably a couple of years later. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but that discussion was still, still mattered at that time. Yeah. And the reason I'm asking when you had that conversation is because it still matters today. And this is actually pretty much still the healthy culture that we have at Algolia. Ownership is the, one of the top things that we're, you know, uh, looking for um, when hiring new candidates. Uh, and of course, it's a, it's a topic within uh, the company at the engineering manager level, at PM level, and uh, at every level in the company. So I, I like that. Uh, so you are an YC alumni, and now you're mentoring, advising, and investing in other entrepreneurs that are going through YC. Do you recognize yourself in any of the batches of entrepreneurs that you've met and what changed if anything <laughs> uh, yes and no i mean uh, uh, like first time entrepreneurs are in a way always the same like uh, you don't know what you don't know and so at the end of the day it's all about your passion your grit like all the characteristics of kind of entrepreneurs who are kind of making the leap in the, in the unknown uh, and that has not changed. What may have changed um, from when we did YC, I think there's a lot more 
possibly diversity uh, in the founders, like wherever they come from. Like, of course, we found people in many countries. And I think there is way more foreigners today applying to YC than before. It's possible. Like, you know, 10 years ago, uh, everything was happening in the Bay Area. Today, the Bay Area is probably still the number one spot where you want to create a startup. But there are so many other places, like the ecosystems uh, in Europe, but everywhere, like in uh, Nigeria or like in India. It's incredible how it has evolved and changed. And so uh, there is a lot more opportunities to uh, to create a, a startup from anywhere today. And of course, the pandemic has helped to to uh, make that uh, like that remote working kind of the normal pattern. Um, what changed? What else changed? Well, the market is bigger. Uh, something that people don't realize often that the market today is like so much bigger than ten years ago. Uh, ten years ago, I still remember, uh, you know, um, an office hour I had with a, a very well-known investor when we were at YC, and uh, at that time I was, uh, I remember I was pitching a little how Algolia could help. Uh, in the e-commerce domain, e-commerce companies. And that investor uh, basically told me, hey, like, I mean, you cannot do a just e-commerce. Uh, like no companies, uh, no e-commerce tooling company has ever become big. Like it's not possible. And now look today, like um, Shopify or like, uh, even you could say Stripe is basically mostly e-commerce. Uh, it's uh um, and in a way, Algolia, of course, we don't do e-commerce only, but e-commerce is kind of uh, our top industry. And uh, just that at that time, we couldn't even imagine the growth, the simple growth of the e-commerce like e-commerce uh, for everyone in the world. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, the, the context, and that's just one quick example to illustrate uh, what I mean here. But the market for companies, like you do, you build a SaaS company, back then you, uh, you to build a, like a unicorn, you need you needed 100% of the market. Today, you probably need like 5% of the market. Like it's like the market is so much bigger. Um, and uh, I think also there is a lot more support available. Um, a lot more, uh, so previous generation entrepreneurs, like uh, kind of uh, the fact that you have more companies help the next generation of companies because uh, the founders then can help the new founders. And so there is a lot more help available, uh, a lot more resource on the web too. Um, at the end of the day, I think that the bar is way higher in the expectation from comp- new companies, but the resource are so much more uh, that it's possible to build the bigger companies better, faster than it has ever been before. Hmm, interesting. And well, if that's the case, then it begs the question, are we living in a new tech bubble? And the reason I'm asking is because we're witnessing record funding into the third quarter of 2021. Uh, And I read a report uh, saying that $160 billion were invested globally, which is 78% year over year growth. Help us put things into perspective and understand what's happening out there. It's pretty crazy, right? Yeah, it's a little crazy. I mean, uh, yes, it's completely crazy. But, uh, well, I'm not an economist, so I want to be careful here and uh, like, don't take what I say as kind of 
absolute truth. But it goes back to what I was saying before. Uh, uh, companies get bigger, faster in a market that's way bigger. Um, what I mean here is that I, I don't, I cannot be sure it's not a bubble, but I would be very surprised it's uh, a bubble like we we have known in uh, with the .NET area, for example. Like back then, it was nothing. I mean, it was kind of like uh, nothing was real. Today, things are real. I mean, uh, uh, you have uh, good fundamentals, like people are making money. So it's not like they have customers paying for a product. It's not all vaporware like it was before. And so I think that that crazy, these crazy valuations or amounts invested, uh, maybe we are on a very high and it's going to go down again. It's possible, but I don't think it's ever going to crash uh, because of this fundamental truth. Like kind of there is actual customers paying for your products here. Um, and as I was saying, uh, the market is bigger, the support is stronger, you have more money to build the company faster. I don't know, all of these elements actually are real. It's not vapor. Um, so, so yeah, I think uh, I'm kind of excited. I was When I was seeing the that happening like in the past year or two, I was kind of thinking like, where are we going? Are we going like, Fast forward, like, I don't know, are we going to hit a wall here? Are, are we not? Yeah, are we not? Or... <laughs> yeah, are we not? And and today, I think I've changed my mind and I kind of, yeah, I think, yeah, valuations are so much higher, but but actually they are based on something tangible. It's not completely insane. And maybe we're a little overhyped, but I don't think it's kind of a, a real bubble. Does that make sense? It does, and even Algolia raised 150 million in a Series D funding round this year. Uh, it was a post-money valuation of 2.25 billion dollars, uh, and well, not a lot of not a lot. First of all, congratulations, and because you founded Algolia, you led it as a CEO, and you're now a board member. Not a lot of people accomplish what you've accomplished, and even fewer have the maturity to trust others to continue their legacy. And I have to ask you this, Nicola, from where you're standing today, where do you see Algolia in the next few years? <laughs> you may be uh, able to answer that question yourself, too. <laughs> you may have some good insights here. No, <laughs> uh, I think today we are known mostly for our for search, like for our search API. Uh, as we continue in the next few years, I think uh, the idea is really to go beyond the traditional boundaries of search. Uh, and you are very well uh, placed to know that, but I think today it means uh, everything we do around recommending content, like recommendation. Uh, but as we continue in our journey, I think it's a lot more about uh, understanding the intents of the users along their journey, their, their complete journey on a on a website or in an app. Um, what does that mean? It's a, it's a still a little uh, not completely clear uh, exactly what's going to happen here. But I think as we make progress, we'll be able to better understand why how, what what users are seeking as they start interacting with a service, a website, an app. And we'll be able be able to uh, be there for the, for them all along that journey. Um, kind of a 
tomorrow, one day, I think that could become your personal assistant in a way. Like it's going beyond search, anticipating your needs and like helping you along that journey. Uh, and all of that by while keeping uh, the dev experience at the core of everything we do. I think that's kind of like what we do the best. It's really helping developers uh, build the best product possible. And I think that's something we should keep as kind of the our core approach to, to the market. Absolutely. And basically the vision at Dalgolia. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the, the vision at Dalgolia is to uh, increase discoverability on the internet. Uh, and to my mind, discoverability has two components. One is understanding the content. And I think we do a pretty good job here, a decent job um, uh, with all the modesty, with Algolia Search and Algolia Recommend. Um, but then again, we're also working, like you like mentioned, on understanding the user, which is the other part, which is very, very important if we want to increase discoverability on the internet. <laughs> and uh, yes, that's something that uh, we're indeed working um at we do have initiatives as part of the company and uh, that's all i have to say for now <laughs> i will let some tension for the next year uh okay uh, there's one thing that i wanted to to ask because we're now talking about uh, we've talked about y combinator but i don't know if you know this uh, but i i'm a techstars alumni <laughs> and and here we are a techstar alumni talking with another alumni but from yc miles and miles away and hugely successful uh and i have to ask this how is an yc alumni seeing other accelerators for example techstars <laughs> um i mean uh, i don't want to speak in the name of all alumni uh so <laughs> yeah you have to you are now representing all alumni all over the world no, i'm joking probably like 6,000 or so alumni. So uh, that may be, uh, I don't want to speak in their name. Uh, uh, you know, I think there is a space in the market for many, many, many programs here. So I don't think uh, there, it's a one-size-fits-all thing here. Uh, of course, uh, YC, in our mind, when we applied to YC, was the, the best. And so we, we really wanted to do it and we were lucky to be uh, accepted. Uh, and uh, and uh, we may be a little biased here, but I don't, I don't think so too much. I mean, uh, in a way, once you are an alumni, you are judged by the, the company. Who cares about the accelerator you went through? Uh, I think that's very secondary. I think what matters is what you do with your company. And I'm sure Techstars can help you a lot in that journey, as YC can help you a lot too. So I don't think like ranking accelerators is the right way to look at it. So I like to surprise my listeners and guests with a special question of the episode, one that has more weight to it and it's a bit more delicate to answer. And there is a catch. The catch is that I'm not the one asking that question and Nicola is not answering it. Instead, Nicola is asking you, challenging you, our dear listeners, and you are invited to think about it, reflect on it, and answer it by posting on LinkedIn, on Twitter, and of course, make sure to add the hashtag, get your AI on, 
or even start a conversation by emailing me at hello at getyouraion.com. In doing so, one of you can win a book on AI. So, Nicola, the floor is yours. What is your question or challenge for our listeners? <laughs> All right, a question for your listeners. Um, well, if you are uh, uh, thinking about or actually have created a company, like funded a company around AI, how do you know you are not building a, a solution in search of a problem? Like, what do you do to, uh, to make sure you are not in that failure mode? Excellent. Nicola, it was a pleasure to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with me and with us. How can people reach out to you for ideas and comments? Um, yeah, I think you can reach out on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me easily there. Or Twitter, um, at the same, my last name, D-E-S-S-A-I-G-N-E. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you, Cipriano. Bye-bye. All right. This was Get Your AI On Podcast. Thank you all for listening and be sure to subscribe. We're going to post a new episode every other week, so stay tuned for the next conversation. See you next time.